Welcome, people of the internet, to this week's StuPod, the Yahoo Sports Baseball Podcast. I am Mike Oz. And I am Chris Swick. Chris, what's happening, man? Life is good. Can't complain. Chris, you're actually on vacation, so let's be let's be straight up with the people. You are taking some time off of vacation because you love podcasting so much. I just I love the people. The people need me. <laughs> so here I am. Playing some uh, Vince Staples to open up the show this week, and I know he's your favorite rapper, right? Uh, he's he's third. Oh, okay. Yeah. You have any idea who Vince Staples is? I have no idea. Okay. Good album. Just check it out, especially if you like if you like West Coast gangster rap. Check out some Vince Staples. So uh, this week on the Stew Pod, we are joined by uh, Major League Baseball pitcher, Anaheim Angels pitcher, ooh, Anaheim, sorry, Los Angeles Angels pitcher, uh, Hector Santiago, and uh, we're going to talk about the uh, changes up with the Red Sox, we're going to talk about pitchers getting hit in the head with line drives, uh, we're going to bring in our friend Bad News Ramen to talk about uh, the latest hijinks from the youth uh, baseball and softball world, which I think is um, kind of chaotic. And uh, is that it, Chris? Did I did I did I cover it all? I think that's it. And then maybe uh, maybe an important question. Maybe an important question. All right, this is the Stew Pod. Hey, welcome back to the Stew Pod. It's Mike Oz. We got Chris Swick in here, and we are happy to be joined by Hector Santiago, pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. Hector, how's it going? No, I'm pretty good. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving us some time. Uh, we want to talk to you about a variety of subjects today, but um, I think the the good place to start might be I know one of the one of the projects you're working on aside from you know trying to get the Angels into the playoffs is um, you know trying to get more more kids engaged in in uh, baseball as a whole. Can you tell us about some of your efforts there working with with Major League Baseball? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's just kind of. Just trying to give back to kids, you know, get kids out to the ballpark, get them out on the field, get them playing the game, um, having some fun, you know, uh, stay active, just, uh, you know, hopefully just stay on the baseball field, stay out of trouble, stay in school, and use uh, use baseball as a as a way out, you know, as an, a, another option. Uh, Hector, I'm I'm curious about early in your life, what was what was your start in baseball? How did you get involved in in playing the game? Oh, you know, just um. My parents were probably huge. My father was a umpire. He helped out in the recreation, you know, helping out on the fields. And so he was always around the around the game. Um, he played, you know, softball over the weekend. So he was always in the field. He was a he was probably a huge part of it because he coached. He coached me for my first probably six or seven years of baseball. So um, you know, just just him being so so in the game, you know, umpiring, coaching, playing softball himself. So we were always in the park. We were, you know, just, and then we just fell in love with the game. I mean, just going to the field every day, you know, practicing, you know, throwing a ball, you know, playing wiffle ball in, in the little driveway that we had, um, flipping taps, tops at each other. I mean, just all around. I think baseball just became something that we did on an everyday basis, something that we we fell in love with, and it's something that just we wanted to do. When you, when we talk about trying to get more younger people involved in the game, I know this is something that you know. Has ongoing effort for years, but right now there's so many exciting young players, uh, you know, coming into the league the last couple of years. Do you think that is something that helps sell to the younger kids? I mean, are they noticing like, hey, there's you know these these 20 year olds that are coming in and, and making a big impact in baseball? Does that does that help you know the overall mission there? 
um, when you get somebody that comes up when they're, you know, 19, 20 years old and they can hit 30 home runs like Trout and Harper where they show that, you know, they came right out of high school or played one year in junior college and, you know, not taking anything away from school, but sometimes, you know, those, those guys that come out of just high school and show that they're just pure athletes, you know, pure superstars, I mean, that, that turns around for other kids. You know, some guys, some kids, you know, coming out of high school, going into high school, that they don't want to go to school. They're over school for some reason. You know, they they want to play ball, and um, and that shows right there that you know, well, if you don't want if you want to go to school, you know, take take a sport, you know, serious. You know, go to the go to the park every day, get your work in, you know, do your thing. Um, and it's anything's possible, you know. But uh, at some point, it just becomes where it's like, wow, he just he just finished high school, you know, and now he's in the big leagues, you know, hitting off some of the some of the greatest pitchers that we grew up watching and uh so having young guys come into the game and you know impact players is is definitely a, a good sign for younger kids in, in high school and and before that just to kind of say well i'm gonna go i'm gonna take this i'm gonna, I'm gonna go to field every day i'm gonna put my work in i want to be just like say my trial you know bryce harper uh Strasburg, all these guys that came into the game and contributed when they were you know 20 years old 21 years old right out of right out of school uh, Hector, kind of changing up a little bit. I know, you know, one of the things I've I've seen and read about you is that you have a pretty big autograph collection, and I'm wondering, I guess, how that started when you were younger, and maybe if you can kind of remember who your first big autograph was, or or maybe just the most excited you were when you were younger, asking for a player's autograph. Um. I want to say younger, you know, I was a huge fan of the game. I've watched, you know, it was probably the only thing that was on TV in my house. Um, I, I didn't ask so much for autograph stuff. Um, I don't remember myself going to like a, you know, a big league game and getting down the third base line and, you know, running down there when gates open to go get a signature, you know. Um, I was definitely a fan of it. I never thought or imagined myself having the collection that I do now. Um but I remember the first big order wrap that I had was in the, actually in the minor leagues with the White Sox. Um, Pete Rose Jr. was a was a, a coach slash manager in our uh, organization at the time, and he had his father come in, to, uh, you know, one day to come in and talk to the kids. And that that was the first big autograph that I had. It was Pete Rose. He came in and you know gave a signature on a baseball. And then once I got to the big leagues, I think it kind of changed. Um, I saw somebody, you know, get some jerseys sent over, and they just they seemed like it was it was a great idea, you know, something you can have in, you know, in your house if you have a man cave or a little game room, you know, kind of put on the wall something that you know I played with Paul Canerco, I played with Adam Dunn, so I had those jerseys, um, you know, and then something for myself, I got my my first big league jersey sign, uh, you know, framed up on the wall. Um, I, I just think something like that was kind of cool. It just it just became kind of a hobby. But more so, like, I was around the game, you know, for the time, you know, for her, hopefully after baseball, I can go in a room and kind of just sit there and be like, man, I played with all these guys. I played against all these guys. <laughs> um, at, at the time, you know, it's, it's just something great for you, for your family, and for friends at, at the end of your career where you can just come into your house and be like, wow. And um, so, I mean, just kind of, it's, it's just kind of for the love of the game, you know, just like, you get to enjoy it. You enjoy it while you're on the field. You know, you play ball and you go out there and you do what you got to do to, you know, succeed. 
But uh, off the field stuff, I mean, for, especially for me, I'm a starting pitcher, so I get four days off a week where I just get to hang out and watch baseball. So it just gives you something else to do to kind of carry your time. So you, you track your schedule a little bit, see who you're going to go play, see where you're going to be at, you know, if you can get some signatures and some guys along along, along the way of the, the long season that we have. Do you have a count of how many how many different items you have, like right now today? Um, if I had a guess, I would say somewhere around the six six hundred items, wow. probably. That's awesome. That's about hundred and right about yeah, about hundred and fifty jerseys, somewhere give or take, maybe a little more. So, I mean, I know some other people do stuff like this, whether it's getting baseball cards signed or, or other other players do that. So, is it a pretty common thing now where? Um, you know, th- there's a little bit of trade, and and people understand when you approach another player, like, oh yeah, you know, we will, we we do that kind of stuff a lot. Like, is it kind of understood between players that this is a thing that is cool to do? Definitely, I think so now. Yeah, um, you see it in a clubhouse every day. Um, you know, it's it's not like you know, there's only like five or six guys doing it. Um, there's some, there's not as many guys probably doing it to that intent. Where it's just like, you know, you're gonna get every you know mo- as many guys as you can. You know, it's kind of like say I want to get every single baseball player this year on a baseball. You know, um, it's it's not like that. But you go in the locker room every day, or every time we get to a new city, and there's two boxes of balls and you know five jerseys, and it's Mike Trout and Albert Pujols. So I mean, in our clubhouse, you know. Um, so yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, it's it's normal now. I mean, it's just something that it's it's been. You know, you want to do it. I think it's just something that. You know your your other teammates and other players enjoy, so the same same kind of thing where they can you know go home and you know hang it up on their wall. They have a you know Mike Trout jersey, Albert Pujols jersey. Um, it's it's very common now, I believe. You know, it's uh, it's every every time we go to a city, there's something happening. I know there's bats being traded. There's a uh, there's spikes being traded and stuff like that. Um, I know in the All Star game, I sent over a jersey for Yadier and Molina, and um. He was like, "Hey, send me one back." You know, that was the first time that ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, That's I awesome. asked him for something, and, and then he asked me for one back. So we actually made like a, a, a good trade. I was like, "Yeah, for sure, man. That'd be great. I'll definitely do that." I ripped the jersey out of the locker and you know signed and sent it over. So that was the first time that happened to me. Yeah, I was going to ask you about going to the All Star game. Uh, your first time this year. Uh, wh- where did you find out you were going? And then I know you just told the Yadier Molina story, but. Uh, how soon did it sink in that you could uh, you could really increase your autograph collection during the festivities? <laughs> um, yeah, I found out. I think it was like around ten forty-five uh, Sunday morning, like right before the break. Um, Social just called. Uh, Social came out and called me in, and then um, we kind of had an idea of what was going on, and he told me, "Hey." Uh, they picked four other guys before they took you, and then sorry, you're not going to the game. <laughs> and then um, a couple seconds later, you kind of see a smile on his face, and he's like, "I'm just, you know, I'm just messing around. Congratulations, you're going to All Star game." And then, um, yeah, I mean, for for sure, like, I mean, at first it was, you know, like I'm pretty excited, you know, nothing kind of was going through. I called my pops, called my, let, let my family know, and then um, yeah, after after y'all take it in, and then we we had a meeting, and then. After the meeting that we had, that they, you know, they announced it to the team. Uh, a couple guys came up and was like, "Oh man, take take fifty baseballs with you. Take, <laughs> you know, like take a bunch. Start ordering jerseys, you know." So yeah, I mean, I, I think in our clubhouse we kind of know already, you know, like guys know that I 
collect some stuff. And there was a huge article about it. Like, you know, you said you read about it. So all those guys know, and they're like, man, you're going to get so many guys. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, guys that were in the, in the clubhouse or in the, in the all-star game, I had most of them, but I, I think I got over, I want to say around around 50 autographs. You know, like I think I got like 18 balls from our side that I didn't have, and then 18 balls from, I mean, 13 balls from the other side, from the National League side. And then Griffey wanted to be in there, so I got a Griffey signature. Um, I didn't get to hang around with all the, the big dogs, you know, uh, Hank Aaron and Johnny Bench and all those guys. Those guys came in, celebrated, did their thing, their ceremony, yeah. um, and they kind of snuck out of the back door. That's what it seemed like. But, uh, because it was right as as the national anthem and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want to say I got around fifty autographs. It was, I mean, it was. I I I love the the experience way more than the autograph stuff. Um, but I think they kind of enforced it a little bit. It was like you know, there's tables. Like the first thing the guy asked me when I got there, the clubhouse guy, he was like, "Hey, I'm your guy. You know, I work, I'm working with you four guys." make out a list of all the signatures you want, whatever you want, jerseys, bats, balls. And it was like, what? Like, all right. And then they come and they, they pick up your, they come and they pick up your stuff and they, they take it and they get everything signed for you. And then they have met tables, man, literally tables in the clubhouse of, of just bats, balls, jerseys. Um, I mean, whatever you could think of was on that table bases. I think Scherzer sent over um, three frames, like the, the out the border of uh of a jersey frame. I think he was gonna get, you know, National League, American League and then his own jersey sign uh all signed and then framed together. So he sent over the huge borders of his, of the jersey frames and everybody signed it from both sides. You it sounds like obviously it's cool when you have someone kinda of helping you or, or you know all stuff is arranged, but I I guess let's go back a little bit. When it's just you and you have to do it yourself, like has there ever been a player that you've kind of been either like hesitant or, or I don't know, a little afraid to approach on something like that? Yeah, every day. Albert Pujols. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's literally like three feet away from me. And it's just, it's, it's, I think it's just respect for him. You know, um, um, he's definitely a tough one to get. I mean, when we're at home, he's, you know, he's, you don't want to mess with his, his routine, kind of what he does. You know, you never know when he's like actually free or he's actually, if he's doing his, scouting or he's watching video or hitting so you kind of just like you're waiting for the moment to kind of just uh you know make sure you're not bothering and kind of you don't want to mess up his routine um so i i honestly think for me like in in our clubhouse on the other side of the clubhouse it's kind of easy you know you you can either talk to them on the field or you can just ask your clubhouse guy like hey can you go ask this guy or can you can you ask this guy to sign this for me um, in your clubhouse, you want to do it yourself just for respect. Like, I don't want to send my clubhouse guy over there and be like, Hey, tell Albert to sign these balls for me. Like, that's not, that's not how you do it, you know, among your teammates. Yeah. But, um, I, I think I'm just waiting for the right time and the right approach to kind of just make sure he's, he's not in his thing. I, I don't want to mess with our, you know, our mojo here where we're kind of, you know, playing ball and I don't want to mess up his schedule. So, but I mean, he's probably been the, the guy that I, the least guy that I would approach. I mean, I, I got him a couple of years ago on a jersey. But I want to see if I can get him on a bat this year to kind of put with his jersey frame it all together. Hector, how does your kind of love for autographs impact you as a player? So I'm thinking, uh, you know, when you're maybe on an off day and you're not focused on pitching and you're walking down 
you know, one of the foul lines and you see all the kids standing there looking for autographs or do you try and sign as many as you can knowing, you know, how much you kind of enjoy that? Or I guess I'm just wondering kind of what role that plays on you with, with other fans who kind of love the same thing you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to say I sign more autographs than anybody in the game. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because of the fact that I, I collect, you know, or I get a bunch of signatures. Um, I think it's just the fact that, like, if those, for those kids that are out there, man, they're out there, like I said, they, the gates open, you see these kids run down there. Um, so, I, yeah, for the most part, I mean, I, I sign every single day. I catch, I know at home I catch first pitch every, I've caught first pitch every single game except for the day that I'm starting. So every day I catch first pitch, and then I spend 15 minutes signing from the edge of the dugout to the edge of the dugout. And then sometimes I'll run down the third baseline and sign some more. Um, so every single day I, I got about 15 minutes of signing, and then after DP I sign sometimes too. But I, I think it, it might come into play where, you know, like, hey, I get a bunch of stuff too, and, you know, the fans know that now. Sign autographs. They're like, man, like, thank you, thank you. You know, like, good luck on your collection, stuff like that. Um so yeah, I, I like it. I like to you know you know see the smiles on the kids' faces. You know the especially I, I do it mostly for the little kids. I mean, there's so many little kids that are standing there, and half of them don't know who I am. Like as I'm signing, they're like, "Who's that? Who's that?" <laughs> but I mean, and then they figure it out, and they're like, "Oh, you're a pitcher," you know. So I mean, just to see the smile, the fun, the kind of interacting, you know, with the fans as, as I'm signing is 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 kind of fun for me. I wanted to ask you one question about uh, pitching and your style. I know. For a long time, you were kind of known for being one of the only pitchers to throw a screwball, um, or or at least you know if it's a changeup, it's got a very strange movement to it. So I'm I'm just wondering uh, how often any of your teammates have come up to you and been like, "Man, you got to teach me how to throw this pitch because it's awesome." <laughs> yeah, um, not so often anymore. Um, okay, a couple years ago, yeah, like a couple like two years ago, it was. I mean. Uh, sitting in the bullpen, you know, like, and guys were like, hey, you know, how do you throw it? Like, and then I was like, I just grab a changeup and just turn it over and try to think changeup curveball, you know, like changeup and then try to throw a curveball, like, with that grip. Um, yeah, I used, to, I used to throw a lot more than I throw it now. And um, and it was a, it was a huge pitch for me. I mean, I was, I was only a, a one, maybe two pitch guy when I started throwing screwball. But um, when you start adding other stuff in, when you add in a cutter, you add in a slider, you add in a breaking ball, um, and you got your heater, and you got, you know, regular changeups. So that's five pitches already, and then you have your screwball on top of that. Um, I've thrown it this year probably the least amount that I've thrown it in my career. But it's it's still a very effective pitch because, I mean, I, I get a lot of top spin on it. It gets down away from right-handers, down and into lefties. Um, I want to say I've thrown it maybe like nine times this year, which is weird because usually I, I used to throw it like nine times in a game, like easy. Um, but I mean, it's it's in the back of a hitter's head, where it's like he does have that pitch, but then he also has five other pitches too to go with it. So that comes in where it's 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 an effective pitch, even if I don't throw it, but they know that I have it. Um, it's just something that I got away with, got away from, just because of the fact of trying to eliminate, you know, balls, trying to you know execute better better strikes, you know, get hopefully earlier in the count out or something that later on in the game, if I need it, I can have it. It's something else that I can throw later on in the game. So 
All right, Hector, I'm going to I'm going to come out to you here. I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I was looking over some of your um your pitching stuff and kind of what you said confirmed that that you know, you're not throwing your screwballs often, but you mentioned throwing a cutter a little more. And it looks like this year you've been relying on it a little more than the past. Is that First off, is that true and is that kind of what's what's helped you cut down on the walks and maybe pick up a, little, a couple more strikeouts this year? Yeah, um I could say though, yeah, for sure. I definitely got to a point where I'm, I threw my cutter a lot early on. Like, it was almost like two to one fastball cutter. Um, it was it was more than any other pitch that I throw, and then a cutter was just kind of a like a little alternate of a fastball. You know, it was it had almost the same velocity with a little bit downward movement, a little bit of movement in on the hands. So where the hitters believed they they were going to barrel it up, it kind of you know dove underneath their swing a little bit. Um, it's something that was added in two years ago. I never had confidence in it, never had trust in it because it was something I was just learning. Similar with the screwball, it took me about a year and a half to kind of add it into my game. Um, and then I just, I, I, I don't want to say I fell in love with it, but I mean, it became a pitch where it was like, if I'm ahead, I can throw it. If I'm behind, I can throw it. I can throw it in, I can throw it away. Um, it's, it's, it became an actual pitch where, I had confidence throwing to any any side of the plate whenever I wanted to. So that that was the that was the biggest part of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, trying to eliminate walks. A screwball was a pitch that I threw for a swing and miss, uh, you know, strikeout some kind of t- something, and it was out of the zone. So that was a screwball was exactly what it says. It's a screw, and it was it was finding finding a way to become a ball. That's what I you know started to strike throw the ball. <laughs> Cutter was started as a strike, let it finish as a strike. Um, you know, it was kind of something that, well, like I said, is you know I was trying to eliminate the walks, and for the most part this year, I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm running around almost three to one, something like that, where it's like exactly where I wanted to be. You know, um, I, I, I was always a maybe a one and a half or two to one, you know, endings to, to walks, and um, I mean that that hurts you. That you know that's that's the difference in having a four ERA and you know right now a two. Um, two plus ERA. So, um, you know, throwing more strikes is leads to less walks, less walks leads to less guys on base, less guys on base leads to less runs. So that that's the way I kind of uh, added that cutter in. You know, I was like, hey, it has some movement in the zone, and that's what I kind of wanted. Hector, you guys as a whole, the Angels, it seems like has been a kind of an odd year. You know, not not necessarily on the field, but some of the off the field stuff. You know, and and here we are getting towards the the stretch run. All that stuff seems to be handled now. How how do you feel? You know, you guys are right now looking at the next couple of months, looking at the postseason. Do you feel like you're in a great place to to kind of make a move now and and uh, either you know go after the division or a wild card spot? Yeah, um, I think we're in a great place right now. Um, you know, the, uh, our last couple of road games have been tough for us, but um, I think all around we're in we're in a good place. I mean, we're got. I mean, we're only one game back. I think some of that. And we got a bunch of games to go. Um, we got a, we had a new team come in after the break. You know, after the break, we we added I think three or four guys. Um, that changes a lot of the mojo, in the, you know, and on the field, cause you grind out 100, 115, 110, 15 games with uh, you know, with your twenty five guys, and you know, a section of some guys getting hurt, you know, up and down a little bit. And then we added four kind of main pieces uh you know those guys came in and are playing every day you know playing against right playing against lefties and then we're trying to see where they fit into our lineup so i know over the last couple of weeks we've seen a you know probably hitter for for the game than them have all year 
and then all of a sudden we see, uh, you know, Ibar in the five hole, Ibar in the seven hole. So we're kind of playing with our lineup a little bit. Um, it puts us in a kind of we're we're still trying to figure out, you know, what we have and where can we put everybody to, you know, to play. And um, I think right now it's it's kind of coming together where we know what your role is, guys that are figuring out what they're supposed to do. Um, but I think we're in a good place. Hey, Hector, we appreciate your time today, man. That was some really, really good info, uh, really good stories. It was a lot of fun. So uh, thank you for joining us. Good luck with the autographs, man. We hope you get Hank Aaron and Albert Pujols. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. Have fun. Hey, have thank a good you. one. Take care. got a special stew pod segment right now with our with our man bad news ramen who's gonna break some truths down to you about uh little league and little league softball and uh i think just coaching in general there was a story this week out of the little league softball world series and it was a crazy one um the team from washington was in the last round of pool play and they had decided that they were going to rest their starters and um in a game they didn't really need to win, and then they they lost. They got no hit. They got blown out. Because of that, though, their uh, their rival team in their pool did not advance. So the rival team from Iowa kind of complained and, and appealed to to Little League, uh, thinking that you know there was a little bit of trickery going on here, and that the other team from Washington had lost the game on purpose so that the Iowa team wouldn't get into the next round, which kind of sly, I guess. Uh, so Little League decided then that the two teams should play each other, and the winner would go on to the next round. And so they did that, and uh, the, the Iowa team actually beat the Washington team, and the Washington team was sent home. Um, sort of a funny, weird, crazy little turn of events. I kind of see a point where everybody could be wrong in this, but bad news, Robin, who is the most wrong? I, I think, it, you know, looking at everything that's going on, the the easiest way you know you know i think is wrong i think the i think the coaches are wrong in in all parties and i think to a small part uh the parents are wrong too i coach year round and i'm not saying that this makes me a, a it makes me an expert on coaching and stuff but the whole thing is that I've, I've been around the mentality of parents needing their kids to win uh making them ultra aggressive and and ultra competitive and win at all costs and you know, my, my whole thing is that I don't even know if, if, if you rest the starters. I mean, the whole thing is if you have a team and your team is winning all the time, stay with your team. It, it, the the coach from that team said, well, you know, my, my kids have been playing for three months, so I got these players that usually sit on the bench and play. I mean, that, that, that breaks down the kids on the bench, too. I mean, how you how would you feel as a bench player and your team gets blown out and it's just kind of case, oh, you know, you guys aren't that important, so you know, we'll lo- we can lose this game and, and my best players can sit on the bench and they can watch you guys lose. It, it doesn't really, it, that doesn't really help the kids out that are sitting on the bench. I, I understand that it is competitive. There are going to be kids on the bench, but as a coach, you want to make every pl- player better. The, the purpose of youth sports isn't winning and losing. It's a case of building, building character in these kids, make them successful for in the future when they become adults and to kind of be put in this ultra competitive thing where you have to win at all costs. Uh, the other team, the rival team complains. It just shows a breakdown of youth sports in general of what it's actually going to be. I'm not going to be Pollyanna and sit here and say, Oh, you know, it's all about the kids and they should feel this way. They should feel that way. My whole thing is that these kids have to play their best. 
And the coaches on both sides, if, if it's a case where they're a rival team and they're going back and forth and, and they're complaining about each other, that, that's a breakdown and that's a breakdown in sports in general. If you have a rival team and, and you're facing them all the time, that's a way for your kids to get better. That's a way for you to become better as a coach. Instead of being combative against this team, talk, learn, learn how to talk to the other team. Learn, learn where the other coach is coming from and, and realize that, hey, these, when we play against your team, it brings out the best in us. And instead, it's so, they're so worried about the scoreboard and what it is. They're not looking at how, how good competition benefits the kids in the, in the best way possible. I always tell my kids, I don't care if you win, if you win eight to one and, and you play bad, uh, next practice, you're going to, you're going to get, you're I'm going to run you guys through the ringer. If you guys lose 10 to nothing and you play your best, that's all I care about. It's not, a, it's not about win wins and losses it's about what type of kids do you develop? Does that really answer that question? Here's here. We'll have another question for you that I think is in, in more of a grand scheme of things type of deal. I've played Monopoly with you, man. I know that, that in the right situation, I play fantasy baseball with you. I know that in the right situation, you are uh, you can be you can be scheming, you can be manipulative. Um, but when we're talking about kids, we're talking about twelve and thirteen year old kids, where's the line in terms of being strategic and being um, I don't know poor sports or or kind of going too far to kind of um, you know manipulate the system? I mean, is that something that that let's say let's just admit that. Let's say this happened, and the team said, we're going to lose this game because it benefits us to lose this game. When we're talking about 12- and 13-year-old kids, does, does that fly, or does that fly more when you're a high school team, for instance? Like, where's the line? So the, the, the main line with anything, with any sports you're playing, if you're a coach or if you're playing sports, is class. You, you know, you, you bring up me with Monopoly and stuff, and, and I, I've, you know, I, I'm notorious for – we're doing really, you know, if, if I give you a deal that I feel is a legit deal, and, and I can't believe we're talking about Monopoly, and you don't and you don't take it, I I'm going to bury you, and I'm going to bury you in a way where where I actually because because here's the thing, when I'm making a deal for you, it's like I'm not winning this game, and I'm trying to win the game. If you allow me not to win, then I'm going to make sure that you lose. Same way with it is in fantasy baseball. I'm, that's just the way that I am. But it only deals with me. My kids aren't being affected. Your kids might be affected because you're crying all the time and they're going, Daddy, why, why are you crying all the time? It's like, oh, my friend. You know, so there, there's that. But when, when I coach or when anybody else coaches, I expect them to learn the game the right way. And the main thing is class. You win with class, you lose with class. If, if you're, you're going to play your bench players, that's fine. But don't have them bunt and don't, don't have them do other things to, to make it obvious that you're not making them try. If you're going to have those bench players play, you tell them to play all out. And I'd rather, and you know, I'd rather see these kids try their hardest, make mistakes, and learn from it, than to just say, okay, okay you're going to go up there, you're, you're going to, you're going to play half-ass, and we're, we're going to lose this game. That's the fundamental problem. It, it's, it's a case where you have a responsibility. Coaches have a responsibility to kids to make them better people. And I, I've seen cases where, I, like I say, I've, I've coached soccer, and it's been like a championship game. And I have kids that are seven, eight years old. This other coach took all of his players and put them all on the front line in soccer. He had no defenders, and he just for, for the first ten minutes of the game until they scored a goal, he just pounded. He just pounded that my my, my goal and my defense. And I'm sitting there going, okay, you know what? If you need that, if you need to do that to win, that's on you. But what is this teaching the kids in terms of playing the game of soccer? If you do that when when kids are are if you do that against a, against an adult team or kids that are 16, 17, 
that's not that's not gonna that's gonna fail every time because all you gotta do is you, you punch the ball in open space, you have your fast runners go onto it, and it's one on one versus the goalie. In order, if if winning for you is that much, where you have to teach the wrong aspects of the game and make it seem that it, it's all right to do something that nobody's ever done before, but when you get older and you try to do that exact same thing and you fall flat on your face because it worked back then when when these were young kids that weren't athletically gifted enough, what are you teaching these players? You're teaching them you're teaching them not to play the right way. And my whole thing is that I'm not going to take these kids and coach them all the way through high school. My job right now, especially coaching girls, is to teach them how to play a game, teach them to have self-confidence in themselves, not act like girls and, and act like actual, like either whether it's going to be a soccer player, whether it's baseball players, because I coach baseball as well, is to make them a well-rounded individual that's a strong individual that is, they're confident in who they are and to put them in situations where you already know they're going to fail and be okay with that so you can have one up on the other coach of your rival team. That's the problem. It's, it's never okay. Your, your main job is, is to make the person that you're coaching the best that they can be and prepare them for later, for later school, scholastic athletics, whether it's high school, whether it's college. And while you're doing that, you're making them better people to, to function in society. It's something that, that, that I preach all the time, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. My job is, is to make these kids better without being their mother and father and, and give them a, an opportunity to see how the, the world actually works and teach them how to function in that society by being their best. Well, I think that this story, um, there could be some more layers to it because I think what will be interesting to see and is, you know, now the, the Washington team has a right to complain and, and what's going to happen there. And I, I think, you know, in a way we've, we set this precedent in new sports the last couple of years. If you go back to the Jackie Robinson West team last year that, you know, the, the other teams can complain and little league can, you know, decide what to do. And I, it, I don't know, it's opening Pandora's box, I think to some degree. So we may have to talk about this more in the future because these more, more incidents like this may happen. So thank you. Uh, bad news, Raman for chiming in and uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week to uh, talk to us about something else that's going on in the world. Sounds good. Glad to be here. We are back on the stew pod. Thanks again to Bad News Ramen for talking to us about uh, youth coaching and, and how to deal with kids. And Hector Santiago of the Angels for talking to us about autographs and uh, some of Major League Baseball's initiatives to get uh, more young people involved in the game. You can hit up playball.org if you uh, need some more info on, on some of the some of the programs that Major League Baseball has going on right now. Chris, uh, I started playing baseball when I was five, and I, I I don't really feel like I ever had a choice in the matter. Like I feel like it was just something I had to do. <laughs> did you? When did you play baseball? Uh, I, probably around that age, I would yeah, say. It was just something. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I guess I, I don't know if I had a choice either in the matter, but. Just kind of stuck with it then. Yeah, and not begrudgingly. Like I was super, no, super, no. super excited to play. Um, my kid is my kid's gonna be five next year, so I'm kind of getting to that, getting to that point. And it's interesting. Like I, I kind of wonder. Like I almost feel like I don't want to be in super involved in it. Like I want to just go there and be a fan and like watch. And I don't know. The whole thing is kind of scary, man. To think about how it is nowadays for kids and uh, parents. And like I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to get caught up in that world too much. Like just go play, kid. Yeah, I think I already like my wife and I don't have kids, but I think I'm already driving her crazy with like my <laughs> my, my sports stuff. I'm like I don't know if I want them to play football, you know. Ah, oh, and then like 
Well, yeah, with baseball, you know, I don't want that coach letting him throw 300 <laughs> pitches. You're not throwing a curveball until you're 14, kid. Yeah, like this is, uh, this is like 15 years away in my life, but I'm still concerned about it already. Well, we're not going to talk about participation trophies on the <laughs> show, but uh, let's 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 talk about the Boston Red Sox because if baseball handed them out, the Red Sox would definitely only be getting a participation award this year because uh, not much else happening, you know, in the standings wise. But uh, big news from them this week they they brought on uh, Dave Dombrowski as their president of baseball operations, and uh, in the process said peace out to GM Ben Sherrington, or I guess he said peace out to them. What do you make of everything that happened in Boston this week, Chris? Do you think the Red Sox look better in the long term? Uh, do, do you feel a little more confidence about them moving forward? I do, and I think it's because I'm just a big fan of Dave Dombrowski. I think he does a really good job. Uh, you know, he took that Tigers team really from nothing. I mean, really, that was a pathetic team the time he took over. And he made them into a perennial contender. And I think you can look at some of his more recent moves and criticize them. Uh, but we also don't know how much he was handcuffed by their owner, Mike Illich, really wanting to win and pushing him to sign Victor Martinez to that big extension. So uh, I, overall, I like the work Dombrowski's done. I think a lot of people have noted he's made some excellent trades over the years and he's been willing to trade off major prospects for these huge hauls and the Red Sox are still pretty prospect laden or, you know, they have a lot of promising young players. I like the fit for them. For me, uh, I was mostly surprised with Ben Sherrington resigning. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I think, I, I, I don't know about you, but with, when Theo Epstein was there, they went on, you know, that big run of success. And I think in my mind, it just got to a point where you assume everyone that that organization is stable and everyone's going to be fine. So for me, I just kind of expected Charrington to be there for eight to ten years, and so to see him leave now, um, that kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah, so I, I have to wonder if it's because he thinks there's a better job out there awaiting him, or if he is just, you know, scared of a regime change. Um, or maybe he just knows he doesn't want to work with, with Dombrowski. I don't know, but I thought that was really weird, especially for a team that, you know, won the World Series just a couple years ago. I mean, that was only two years ago they won the World Series, so... Um, I, I I thought that was puzzling, but you know I think that um, there's a whole lot of truth I think in sports about you know people in charge wanting to have their own guys, and uh, if you're if you're somebody else's guy, you know that puts you in a, in a weird spot sometimes. So that that's kind of how I viewed it, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean maybe maybe he has a, a really cushy job lined up you know somewhere else, but also interesting that that. Um, uh, Jerry Dipido is there now too, you know, over hanging out in mm-hmm. Boston. So I mean, it's just kind of a weird, weird situation. I mean, doesn't you know, like you said, there nothing's going to happen over there this year. Uh, obviously, they're 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 in the basement, and I don't, I don't see them going anywhere. But Chris, you say long term, long term, good. So I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another big topic this week was uh, in the in the Yankees game on Monday night. Their their rookie pitcher Brian Mitchell took a line drive to the face. Uh, looked looked pretty scary, you know. He went to the ground, and uh, when he got up, you know, it blood all over his face. And and all things considered, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it's kind of sad that we have to judge these things now and say, you know, compare them to, to each other because it's happened so often. 
but you know he only had a nasal fracture, which you know compared to some some things is, is not that bad. Uh, you know he wasn't carted off the field, got up and walked off on his own, uh, released from the hospital that night. So it wasn't it wasn't as bad as you know these kind of things could be, or as bad as they look. Uh, baseball, of course, has you know done some things in the last few years to try to make this better. Uh, they have the protective caps that, that players can elect to wear. Uh, not many do. Uh, I think there's really only one guy who I think wears it, you know, with any any regularity. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there might be another player out there wearing it every once in a while. I'm not entirely sure. My question, Chris, is not so much should the players wear it, but but has baseball done enough? kind of put this in, in the hands of the players to kind of, you know, deal with if they want, or, or should we be doing something else to kind of, you know, prevent these types of things? I feel like the problem is, well, there, I think there are two problems. I think one of them is that these hats look silly and a lot of players don't want to wear it because of that, um, which is kind of dumb, except that I also don't know that they work well enough. Um, I remember Brandon McCarthy talking about this a couple years ago or maybe even a couple months ago. Um, as you recall, he you know he got hit in the head a couple years ago, and that was fairly traumatic. And so he looked into this type of thing, and he came away not very impressed with the technology. So I think that's maybe the big, bigger hurdle at this point. If if Major League Baseball had something that could definitely work, I think you'd see more players doing it. Uh, although I still think a lot would refuse to do it because they look silly and i think that's that's kind of dumb i mean you want to be safe out there i think it is interesting though that, and, and brandon mccarthy's not the only one but we've had a couple players who have been hit in the head you know at, who have who have kind of either you know criticized the caps or, or criticized the implementation of the caps and i mean i guess it's kind of telling when we've seen this when we've seen probably what, six to eight players get hit in the face in the last couple of years and, and none of them are mm-hmm. wearing it I, I would think that you know Maybe at least one of them would be like, "Hey, I'm going to do this anyway." But I, I, I think that speaks to the the issue that that players have with it. And um, I look at it though, and and I don't think, aside from I agree with you that there, there's probably a better you know a better cap to be out be made out there. But aside from that, like I don't think that this is a situation where baseball should be super reactive and just be like, "Oh my God, another guy got hit. We should we should do something." Or every time somebody gets hit, something needs to happen. Uh, ultimately, you know, I think. I, I like it the the idea that the players can choose to wear it. You know, I think I think that's good. Uh, you know, leave it up to them. Uh, in Mitchell's case, you know, he got hit in the nose ultimately, so that the big old cap wouldn't have really helped him too much anyway. But it was just one of those things where, um, and usually you, when this happens, you see the big kind of outrage afterwards, or the big you know kind of to do about whether baseball should be doing more to help protect players, blah blah blah. And I didn't really see that this time, and maybe it's just because you know it wasn't a it was a pretty mild case overall but i don't know uh, and, and i guess good for us i mean good for us for not overreacting and, and trying to turn it into like a thing where we got to change the world uh, i don't know that's kind of <laughs> what i was left with yeah i agree i mean i think people realize that these are just unfortunate cases but you know i wonder i guess at some point something serious is going to happen and that's going to raise the level of discourse with with this whole thing so that kind of depresses me and, and makes the whole thing unfortunate. But I think it's going to take a major injury or something in order for us to, to figure this out. Well, it sounds like ultimately they need to keep working on the caps. And, you know, I think I think the, the good movement here is made when they have a better model that more people are wearing every once in a while. And I think it's one of those things that kind of slowly gets adapted into the culture. And, um, you know, it's I guess it's not like a... 
you know, the movie comes out and everybody goes to the movie on the first day, you know, like it's not one of those kind of things. It's one of those, you put out the product and slowly people are like, Oh, this is really good. I need this in my life. And I think that that's kind of, kind of be how it goes. And so, um, I guess my thing is keep working on the, keep working on the caps, man. Keep trying to make them better because eventually, uh, hopefully more, more players will choose to wear them and choose to protect themselves. But at this point I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm thinking baseball needs to do anything besides that. I'm with you. Important questions time. I think so. You you ready? You gotta you gotta like is is it a big one? Do we need like a drum roll or something? Do we need sound. Uh, effects? it's not that big. Okay, it's not that big. I gotta think of one for you. I don't have one, so I'll try to think of one while we while we do this. All right. Well, your your mind is gonna be consumed by this one, so uh, I don't know. Uh, so now you're making it sound big. The important question is, what is or was your favorite snack cake thing? So I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to get into brands, but like. You know, the Twinkie, the cupcake, the sticky bun. If you were like, you know, if you were a kid and you found X in your lunch bag, what were you? This was going to get you the most excited. Um, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, I that was never like my number one jam for uh, like sweets and desserts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But. I will say, like, I, I never really liked Twinkies too much. Um, although, and some people are probably going to hate this. This is, I think, a lot of people like. I always liked Chocodiles a lot more than everything else, which I know, I, I guess, is probably not what you wanted because you didn't want a product. But, um, I mean, in terms of picking out the one thing that I liked the most, I actually really liked the Chocodiles. Um, so I don't know I don't know where that where that fits in your in your scale. I mean, is that... I don't even know if I've ever had a Chocodile. Oh, it's essentially. See, I like. I, I, I looked it up. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> One of the things is like I'm not a big fan of chocolate cake. Right. Like, I generally like, like white cake and stuff better. So, um, you know, I, I, for that reason, like, I was never a big fan of like ho hos or, or ding dongs or any of that stuff. Um, but I liked, I liked, I liked the the chocolate dials because they had the white cake in them, um, and then the chocolate on the outside, which which I liked. Um, and if not that, I guess I'd probably have to say like a cupcake. You know, just one that's uh, less. Less chocolatey. Um, okay, but not not the Hostess cupcake. No, not necessarily. I think of of Hostess products, I liked the Chocodile best, okay. and then I liked the uh, I liked the zingers, the white cake zingers. Right, right. I liked those a lot, um, but not the not the chocolate ones. All right, I think cupcakes were my favorite. I think I, I used to like Twinkies a lot, but I had uh, I had Twinkies like a year ago, and they were not as good. So I'm gonna go with cupcakes from now on. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I think cupcake is a good, um, you know, a good overall thing like that. Like, I'm also not just not a huge fan of of cake in general. Like, I like right. I like cheesecake and stuff more than I like actual cake. So yeah, I do too. You're preaching right. to the choir here. My wife, my wife is a big cake person, and Sam cakes and cupcakes <laughs> and brownies, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I like I like ice cream, man. Yeah, in, in college, my wife used to like bake desserts all the time, and now she's given up on that because I'll have one piece, and then the whole thing just sits there, and it winds up being a huge waste. Well, then you definitely need to have some kids because <laughs> kids will kids will eat all of that up. Yeah. All right, um, Chris. I think I'm gonna. Oh no, I, I have a, I have a good question for you. I have a good. One. All right. You're on vacation. I'm on vacation next week. So, yes. uh, what is the what what, is, what has been the best part so far of the of the Chris Swick vacation? Oh, I don't see. I don't know how much this is going to apply to you because we actually went on a little bit of a vacation uh, last weekend. My wife and I went down to Oregon and we just stayed in a cabin in like the woods. It was awesome. How um, did you? How did you internet from there? 
They had Wi-Fi. Okay. Well, at the time my wife booked it, she didn't know if I'd be working or not on Sunday night, so she made sure to get Wi-Fi because she's very considerate. I know how much you need the internet, dude. Yeah, I do. Uh, It's sad. But I I got to do a lot of reading. Uh, I finished Molly Knight's book, The Best Team Money Can Buy, which I really loved on the vacation, and I played a lot of video games on my 3DS, so... Um, that was kind of, that was the best part, the whole thing. I would, so if you're not going to go anywhere, I would just say relaxing and like zoning out and reading a book or playing a video game for a couple hours. That I'm not asking you for part. tips, man. I, I don't, I don't need, I don't need another grown man to tell me. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you were looking for, yeah, I thought you were no. looking for some no, advice. No, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit and not do anything. <laughs> I've been doing this stuff for like a year and a half <laughs> with no break. Right, I'm, right. I'm going to sit, put my feet up and chill in the quiet. You, it's going to uh, be quiet and I'm just not going to do anything. Are you going to beat any video games or? No. All right. Am I going to beat any video games? That, that like, is like the only thing on my <laughs> That is really the only thing on my docket. Like, so. like you sound like a, like we, we came back from a vacation from school. Like, what video games did you beat in the summer, man? I beat oh, Mega, yeah. I beat Mega Man 3. That's exactly what's happening here. I beat, I beat Street Fighter 2 Turbo. <laughs> I'm going to brag to all my friends about it later. <laughs> well, what video games have you beat, Chris? Uh, well, I haven't beat any yet. Oh. But you know, I'm still working, got a couple days, man. Yeah, I'm working through a couple. I'm working through three, right. so I'll, I'll give you the update next week, I think, okay. or the week after, because you won't be here. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll be on. Maybe I'll never right. do the podcast. Maybe I'll just be like, I'll do the podcast, Chris, but I'm not I'm not reclining my seat forward. <laughs> got to keep my recline on. You can do the podcast while you play video games. I won't be mad. <laughs> I'm gonna watch some. <laughs> I'm gonna watch some TV, man. I think that's what I'm gonna do and do some projects around the house. Nobody wants. Nobody wants to hear about my home improvement uh, things I got to do, though. So we'll just we'll just stop there. Fair enough. All right, this has been the Stupod. Uh, if you're listening to us, you made it this far. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course. If you like the show, go rate us and review us on iTunes. Give us all as many. Give us as many possible stars as you can, and Chris will send you a Twinkie. Maybe. Or have your he'll have his wife bake something and send it to him. Yes, there you go. That's better. <laughs> Baked goods. If you give us five stars on iTunes. That's the, that's the stew pod way. See you guys next week.